I want you all to think about something like the most incredible, mind-blowing moment of your life. Many will think of things like getting married or when you become a parent. Uh, buying your first car or home is kind of a big deal for, for some people. Um, some of these might make the cut for all of us because they're, you know, popular things that everybody tends to do. But it's likely that there's some that are different, that are more specific to you. I know for me, I grew up with one very specific thing in my life that I thought would be the most amazing thing ever to happen. Because for me, I was born into a fandom in sports for a team called the Chicago Cubs. And this team had another name. Pastor Jay likes this name better. It's the Lovable Losers. And I imagined this moment where the Lovable Losers could actually win the championship, the World Series. I imagined what that moment would be like so many times. And in fact, I thought they needed my help because I imagined myself helping get the game-winning hit or pitch the last out and we win and celebrate and the whole city goes crazy. I've done that literally at least a hundred times, triple digits. Imagine this scenario, whether it was in a dream, I've dreamed it several times. Even though it has happened, I have dreamed it still. Um, in my backyard growing up, you don't know how many times I would make my little brother pitch to me with a wiffle ball, and I'd be up there with two strikes and two outs, and the base is loaded, and we're down by three, and whack! Home run, World Series, Chicago Cubs, thanks to Bill Deitch. He saved the day. But as I got a little older, you know, I was six. The first time I remember them letting me down was 1989. They had a series against the, uh, oh, I can't believe I just blanked on this. It was the Padres or the Giants, one of those West teams that nobody likes. Um, a grounder through the legs, and they lose. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, you're supposed to catch it. It would take nine more years, 1998. A lot of people will remember Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. But I remember the fact that the Cubs actually snuck into the playoffs only to get whacked around. <laughs> and then it only took a few more years, 2003. This was it. I was in college with a lot of kids from the Midwest, so a lot of Cubs fans, and they had it. They were playing the Marlins. They were up 3-1. to one. They only needed to win one more game to go on to the World Series. And everybody, I feel like, has heard this name. I don't want to say it, but I have to. Steve Bartman. If you don't know the story, Cubs outfielder is going to catch it in the crowd, and dude gets in the way. In Wrigley Field, you're supposed to let your players catch the ball. But because of that, and then some terrible other playing, it wasn't only his fault. They choked. They lovable, lost again. And 
it was at that point where I really started to wonder, like, I don't think this is ever going to happen. They are cursed. But then, much to Pastor Jay's dismay, November 3rd, 2016, the game started on the 2nd, took so long it went to the 3rd. The Cubs, Mike Montgomery, you guys don't know these names, but I got to walk through it because it's amazing. Mike Montgomery throws a curveball. Some terrible Indians player rolls over it and hits a grounder to third. Chris Bryant picks it up, goes to throw, and you see his foot slip. And I'm like, oh no. He's about to throw it into the stands. Thankfully, on target, Anthony Rizzo catches it. Three outs, World Series title. Unbelievable. The most terrible part of it is that I made my kid go to bed. My Will, he was uh, nine. He was nine. It was a school night. Mom said, we should go to bed. It's getting late. And I said, fine. Never should have done that. Wasn't watching it with my dad. We were at their house. It was getting late, so we had to go watch the end at home. Never should have left. It was the most amazing thing ever. Emotions that I didn't think I could have were had that night. I have to tell you, for everything I thought about it, all the dreams and all the expectations and wishes and how this could look were nothing, nothing in comparison to when it finally happened. It just, it was entirely unbelievable. And I'll I'll turn on a, a replay of like the celebrations in the city and the game itself, and I still will get goosebumps. It was just more than I could ever imagine. And these big moments in our lives tend to do that. On the one hand, they seem entirely impossible, like there's no way that's ever going to happen. But on the other hand, we can only really pretend to understand how amazing it would actually be when it happens. We think we're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then when it finally happens, it just blows us away. There's one one moment we're going to talk about today that follows where Pastor Robert left off last week. So as we continue this series, we know from the last two weeks that John, the disciple of Jesus, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And they, like Pastor Robert has said, they put him there so he could not share the gospel with anybody. And so instead of being able to do what he loved to do, we know from the gospels that John was in it. In every ministry, he was fully committed and followed Jesus. But he's stuck on this island. And so what Jesus does is he comes and he reveals himself to John. That's what we call this revelation of Jesus. And John wrote it down. And last week, Pastor Robert talked about this event called the rapture. And we saw in Revelation 4 that John sees a door open in heaven. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I can guess what those words are supposed to look like, but he's sitting on this island and sees this door open in heaven. And a voice that says, come up here. i got to show you some things that are going to happen. This is a symbol of the rapture. 
and how those who believe in Christ will be called up to heaven someday. And like we talked about, that day could be any day. There's nothing that is, we're waiting to happen on a checklist before that could happen. Like Pastor Robert said, we're walking along, well, he went this way. <laughs> we're walking along life, and it could be any second that Jesus comes back and we step into eternity. We're not marching towards this day some far off. We just don't know. So today we're going to move just one step further. That event, the rapture, gives us hope because we're called by the one that has saved us. And he brings us to be with him. And so what we see in Revelation chapter 4 next is what we're going to focus on today. We're going to expand on why we have this hope. And so in, in Revelation 4, verse number 2, this is after John has been told to come up here. So he, he, he's transported supernaturally. And John writes in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. What just happened? I, I read this Oh, countless times. I've always been fascinated by it, but I have no clue what is going on here. There is a throne, and there's one person sitting on the throne. John's describing this scene in heaven, and he says that it has, there's an appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And these stones aren't just randomly chosen. As far as I can tell from, you know, looking up what people much smarter than me have to say about all this. The jasper and the carnelian were the first and last stone on the priest garments in ancient Israel. They wore a plate on their chest with 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And the jasper and the carnelian were the first and the last. I don't know if you've heard that name for God before. The first and the last, the alpha and the omega. But also, the jasper is like a diamond. It's clear. And so it's representing his perfection. While the carnelian is also a, a red tone, which is, has to be, you think, like the blood. His redemption of, of us. And then there's, there's, so there's this throne, and there's a rainbow. But it says that the rainbow is of emerald appearance. And the only connection that people make with that is life, because it's, it's green, it's life, it's like plants, new plants growing. But so you have this throne, 
and this image of what you're seeing. And we see this, this scene. He just continues to expand out from this throne. There's 24 thrones around it with 24 elders that are clothed in white. That Pastor Robert mentioned that being clothed in white. In Revelation 3, 4, talking about Christians, it says, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. That's Jesus telling that the Christians are worthy. They will be dressed in white. But in reality, we know that that worthiness that we have comes from Him. But we'll be dressed in white because we are worthy when we are with Him. They have golden crowns. Uh, Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We're rewarded for our faithfulness to Jesus. And so we see these elders sitting here, these 24 people. You know, there's, again, it doesn't tell us who. They represent us, though. They represent Christians. And then from the throne, there's flashes of lightning and thunder, and it's rumbling. And this picture calls back to Exodus and Mount Sinai when God was going to meet Moses on the mountain, and it's thundering and lightning and they weren't supposed to touch the mountain because that was going to be his holy place to meet with Moses. And then we see before the throne, there's these seven torches. We know it's not seven literal spirits, but most scholars tell us it's attributes of the Holy Spirit. And before the torches, there's a sea like glass. He says, like glass or crystal. Now, I've heard of crystal clear water. You know, you see through it. Some people think the water, this, this lake is actually crystal because we don't need water anymore. We're clean already. When we're with Him, we're, we're already cleansed. And so the water doesn't need to be there to clean us anymore. And then it ends with this just mind-blowing description of these four creatures a lion an ox one that looks like a man and an eagle and i saw this amazing connection where the lion is exactly how matthew portrays jesus in his gospel as the king the lion is the king of the jungle and the ox is how mac mark i'm sorry mark portrays jesus as servant because oxen are Burden bearers, they, they work, they pull plows and carts. And the human is, like Luke portrays Jesus as the son of man. He wants to show his humanity, even though he is also God. And then the eagle is how John portrays Jesus, as transcendent, as God himself, above us, as an eagle would soar in the heavens. We see all of this. And it sounds like something we couldn't even make up if we tried. And that's good because we didn't, okay? This message came from God. John wrote it for God's Word, so it is to be taken at face value. And a lot of times what we want to do is try to think into the words what we imagine or change the meaning to what we can understand. But if we look at the words and just take what they say. Yes, I would love to have a perfect comprehension of what's being described here, but my finite human mind can't handle it. 
It's never going to entirely understand all of it. I can read the words and put together what I understand from that, but I'm never going to completely get it until I'm there someday and he can tell me. But here's the key to this passage. This is, there's a lot being described. I get it. And some of this, whether you've been in church for a little while or your whole life, it sounds crazy. Like we said last week, it sounds supernatural. Well, the truth is it, is, it is supernatural. God is supernatural. He's just, he's on a different level than us. And when we try to put him into something that we understand, we start to miss out on what he has for us. But here's the key. No matter what's going on, what's being described, you know, how many thrones there are and pe- what they're wearing and creatures and you know, all this stuff, no matter what is going on around it, there is one throne in heaven and there's one person sitting on that throne. And he's always been sitting on that throne and he always will be sitting on that throne. God is on the throne and he is in control. And I want you to see that from verse 2. He says there's a throne and there's one sitting on it. That is just mind-blowing. And I don't even fully get it. It's like I said in the beginning about when the Cubs would win the World Series someday. And it never measured up um, to what actually that felt like. Here, I can imagine a throne. And I, I don't know what, what God would look like. I can take these words and I can kind of say, well, even if I think it's just like a an aura, you know, like a, a cloud or something, on a chair, a big throne. And I try to imagine this. When I get there someday and see this, it is going to be incredibly greater than I can even try to make it right now. And when John wrote this vision, this is what he got to see it. And this is how he described it for us. And no matter what was going on, God was on the throne. He was on the throne 2,000 years ago, and he is today, and he always will be. He is holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, loving. He is love. He's transcendent above all else. We always, humans, we like to rank things. God is not number one on the most you know, holy things in the universe. God is separate from the list and holds the list of the the earth. Like, he isn't ranked with us. He's transcendent and above anything that we have in this creation of his. Nothing will remove him from his throne. There's never a moment he needs a break. And a time where he's uninterested or incapable of having supreme authority over all of creation. When things seem normal to us or we have something to celebrate, God is on the throne. And when things go wrong, we have bad days, we have those life moments that just knock you on your, your bottom, God is still on the throne. In the difficult times, no matter what, we have to train ourselves to remember this truth that God is still on His throne. 
And it's, it's a basic thing. I understand. I can say that. And we all are in the same spot where we can kind of try to imagine it, but we're just not going to get it. But why is that so important? You can have a guess from our series because it, it gives us hope. If God is always on his throne, that means he is 100% faithful, 100% reliable, 100% in control, and there is never anything that happens in our lives that he is surprised by or doesn't know or can't help us with. And because of that, we should be filled with hope. So we, we know that God is always on the throne, but I want you to look here. We have verses 8 through 11. I want you to see what's happening. So we have this scene. We described what's, what's, who's there and like what it looks like. But let me show you what John says is happening. The, uh, verse 8. So we have these four living creatures. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him. Him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before his throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So I want you to see this. When John sees what's happening in heaven, God is being worshipped. Okay, there's, there's not an infinite selection of church services and you go pick which one you like and we do church and we have an offering and we do these like we're not helping other people and serving in different capacities and doing these different things god is being worshiped that's it that's all they tell us that god is continually praised and worshiped god is always on his throne so he is always worshipped so if that's what's happening why does that also give us hope well because our hope is in god and i I said already he never falters in his authority his sovereign reign over his creation that word in that sentence it says by his will they existed like he didn't just have the power to create everything he like designed it all and like came up with it all and like wanted it to happen it wasn't an accident everything that's been created god knew about like he's not taken by surprise and so the fact that he has this permanent status on the throne in heaven is probably not like the the you know most amazing Uh, observation I could ever make. It's pretty obvious, right? But it doesn't change the fact that it should fill our lives with hope every single day. He is in control because he is on his throne. 
And so how can we participate in this? We don't want it to just be something that we just kind of say and then move on to the next thing. It comes down to how we worship God. So we're going to do something a little different today as we finish up. Pastor Jay is going to come and help us out with some music for a couple songs. We're going to walk through these words that we see in the Bible, that we sing, and just kind of, I want to show you this idea of worship, and I'm going to attempt to connect it to our daily lives. Because I think what we, what we struggle with the most is we hear the word worship, and immediately, like my whole life, worship has always been what? The music. The worship we sing, and that's worshiping God. Okay, but you guys are listening to the word of God being preached. That's worship. I am opening God's word and trying to explain it and share it with you. That's worship. Being kind to one another, helping people in the building, getting each other you know, a snack, taking care of the kids. That's all worship. And that's just within our worship gathering for this hour or so on Sunday. So I want to show you that we're going to do these three songs um, as we work through this. So the four and twenty elders, I'm sorry, the creatures, they said, holy, holy, holy. One thing you always learn from any good Bible teacher is that the repetition of a word increases, increases the significance of it. So when you see it in the Bible, God is not often just called holy. He's often called holy, holy, holy. Because they wanted you to understand that He is holy 100%. He's almighty. He said, who was and is and is to come. He's eternal. And then in verse 11 they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. He's worthy to receive these things. Why is He worthy? Because He created all things. Like I said, by His will, they were created. And so because of that, we acknowledge Him. Everything that we are, our families, our homes, our school to have church service in, all these different things, it originates with God. And so first we're going to sing um, a piece from Oh Praise the Name. I want you to hear the words because it's very simple. But just listen, listen to what it says as you sing along with Pastor Jay. Oh, praise His name. 
see as you, you hear those words, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise His name forevermore. Look at what they're doing in heaven. In this description, they're praising His name forever. That's what, that's what heaven is, is acknowledging Him for all that He has done for us. So for endless days, we will sing His praise. As they continue through this, this section, we see that the 24 elders fall down before Him. And this is not something natural to us humans. They're humbled and they bow down to Him to acknowledge His authority. And in our rebellious hearts, we, we don't often want to do that. And so when we make the choice to humble ourselves before Him, There's, there's no greater joy that God has than when He is worshipped by His people. So our, our next song is part of Came to My Rescue. Let's do the same thing as we listen to these words. I know we're in church and we're singing a song to God, but this doesn't have to be the only way that we fall before Him when we just say it. And no, we don't live our lives 24-7 just laying on the floor before God. I understand that. But there's an attitude and a posture in our hearts where we acknowledge God and His sovereignty and His blessing in our lives, what He provides, and how He sustains each of us. And when we acknowledge that, He knows we have Him ahead of everything. It's very easy for that to change 
I've gone through so many seasons where it'll be I, I'm my wife. Like I have to whatever I'm taking care of for her, my kids. You know, we get stuck in different seasons of all the stuff we do running them around. The church itself, like we can we can actually care what's going on here more than we care about God. And so when we humble ourselves and put him ahead of everything, he knows that, he sees that, but also we have the opportunity here when we sing like this as that reminder of how we want to put God first and to be humbled before him. And that goes right into how it ends. They fall down before him who is seated on the throne. They worship him. They cast their crowns before the throne. And the idea that's happening here is they were, they're given these crowns. The Bible tells us different ways that Christians are awarded for their lives, their faithfulness, their service. Um, if they're a martyr, just all these different ways that Christians have these crowns in heaven. But what we see is that these people are giving them back at God's feet. Because anything that we do, that we accomplish for Him, is nothing without Him. It's not of our own ability or skill or um, you know, persistence or anything like that. And so it's the idea that I got this crown from God, but without Him I would have never been able to get it, so I'm giving it back to Him. I'm acknowledging the source of this victory for me. And so this last song, Son of God, hear these words. It's, it's even more simple than the last two. But just, just really, it's shorter, so we may do it a couple times. Just focus on these words as we sing. in the process of worship. And I want to encourage you guys, when we sing on Sunday mornings, it's not about the person next to you. 
It's not about their ears and what they hear. It's not about their eyes and what they see you do. It's a moment between you and a holy God who is worthy of all of our praise. I want to ask you guys to stand up, church. And I want you to sing uninhibited. Don't think about your voice. Don't think about what your appearance looks like when you sing. Don't think about your awkwardness. Think about your worship before a holy God. Think about this moment in time that you have to turn this praise into thanksgiving and to cast it at the feet of our Savior. Come on, church, sing this. You are worthy. You are worthy. seated see we we come to church and we we have these songs and um, we want you to, to to be into them and the reason isn't because like a lot of people think church is I'm going to use a sports reference church is the game and then going through your week is all like the practice and training to be ready for this. That's backwards. Church is where we come to worship. Pastor Jay says it often. Pastor Robert does it. It refills us. We have to be recharged. The world just beats us down. And we come together with each other to worship. To have that joy refilled in our hearts to acknowledge God and to then go out into our week and that is the game. How we interact with people at work, our families, our neighbors, just everyone we come across. Are we sharing that joy that's filled into our heart or is there something else there and that's what they're getting? And when we do this, like, it sounds like something, like I know I keep saying it's something we, we are doing. We actively do it. It's a choice we make. It's an action. But it's all coming from God. And because he's on his throne, we have the hope to be able to do this. Is it going to be perfect? No. It never is. My kids aren't here this week, so I can't pop off at them. So that's good, right? So this week, that, that'll be good. But I have no guarantee that I won't the next week, you know? But as long as God is on the throne, and I remember that, that is the only opportunity I have to pursue that ability, to do anything 
right and good is because God is on his throne and he loves us and empowers us and enables us to do these things. Let's pray.